You've tuned in to 96.7 on your FM dial. Oh, I'm saying that with a bit of authority because uh, the topic today is one that uh, really needs exploration and is part of my, my world at, at NORCAT as well. Uh, you, as you know, we are involved in occupational health and safety training at NORCAT. This is not a NORCAT program, but this is QOL, Quality of Life, and, and there's incredible overlap with this. My name is Hugh Cruzel, and the program is available to you on 96.7 on your FM dial, certainly synchronously at cklu.ca. And let's face it, 24-7-365 if you want podcasts. Just Google my name, Hugh Cruzel, and the word podcast. It's available on uh, multiple platforms. There's hundreds of episodes. This one is particularly important. I, I will tell you, not just in terms of working, but let's talk about the overlap with COVID as well. I'm sure that will be something that's talked about. My guest today, let I'll let her introduce herself. Heather, go ahead. I've already said Heather, but let's go ahead. Heather, who are you? I appreciate this opportunity and love the uh, topic area. It's been a passion of mine for a few years. So, yeah, my name is Heather Colley, and I'm a um, I'm involved in the area of human factors and physical safety. So, what's that? Well, it's a discipline concerned with uh, looking at the interactions that uh, people have with other parts of the system that they're working at, and. You know, pre-COVID, we might have been having those interactions at work, but now we're tending to have some of those interactions now in the home and in other unique areas. So my job title officially, I'm a human factor specialist, and I work at WorkSafeBC. That's the Occupational Health and Safety Regulator in British Columbia. There I work in the risk analysis unit, which is is pretty cool. It's a unique area where we use different risk signals to monitor um, emerging risks, like uh, things that are coming up new in the world, um, the use of uh, containers, shipping containers for sheds and office space, as well as many others. And so my role there is working with employers to understand some of the challenges that they have um, in regards to safety. And we help them with their choices and guide them to advance safety. Well, and, I, uh, I, have yeah. to, I have to jump in, Heather. Because yeah, there certainly is. There's a, an element here that I don't think we've actually tackled yet because we did a little bit of back and forth. Workplace now is home place, too. We can be fatigued at home. and It's a lot of different things. So many different things. So what? how did you end up doing this? I mean, somebody just doesn't drop in and say, you know, I'm going to be a workplace safety specialist, a fatigue specialist, a human factor and system safety person. You had to come from somewhere and get educated. A little bit about my education arts. I, um, I thought, you know, I was pretty good in sciences in high school, so let's start there. I uh, attended the University of Waterloo, and that's where I got my science degree in uh, kinesiology and systems design engineering. And it just, it was a really excellent fit with my passion for uh, making things easier to use and understand in the workplace. And I actually had a, one of my early co-op terms at INCO, now Valet. And then from there, I went on to study um, Master of Science at the University of Lund in 2008. These things combined launched me into my career, and um, I haven't looked back. It's, it's been really exciting and a really uh, challenging and yet rewarding discipline. I wanted to jump right in, Heather. Are you telling me you've got a Sudbury connection? I do have a Sudbury connection, having grown up there. Oh, my. Indeed. That's maybe where I first heard about you, because we have the Center for Research in Occupational Safety and Health, or CROSH, here at Laurentian mm. University. You, yeah. you gave a lecture, and, and I, I listened in, and I was like, Whoa, this is this is very, very important work and has huge implications for all of us. Yes, 
Crush. They're at the University of Laurentia and, you know, does a lot of really excellent work. Um, they've set up their uh, webinars, you know, already online. So when COVID hit, they were already structured to deliver information, um, you know, in a really um, sound platform. And um, they've been able to continue with that. And so how the connection began was uh, they've been working, helping industry and labor um, resolve workplace problems for a long time. And fatigue has been one of their big topics. And so when I first heard them talk in a webinar on their fatigue toolkit, I reached out to them. And I've been working with uh, Dr. Sandra Dorman and others. And we just, we've developed over time this, this nice collaborative partnership. And so they're listening to what we're doing. We're listening to what they're doing. And we just thought it was a great opportunity to kind of join forces. And so when uh, we started delving into the topic further and further, we, we thought, let's Well. That's right. I mean, we can't silo this information. Here you are at Works, no. you're at WorkSafe BC. I'm here in Sudbury. Uh, there's mining, there's forestry, there's there's construction, there's all these things. I'm delighted that you're delivering information in a very accessible format. Especially amidst COVID, and now we're being, being able to bring the information uh, way beyond our borders, especially on certain topics like fatigue. I mean, it affects us all. Let's, let's launch into it, Heather. I mean, you've said the word fatigue. I've said the word fatigue. I think all of us, maybe we really don't know what fatigue is. What is fatigue? Great question. Great question. Well, it's a great topic of interest, especially as we're heading into changing of the clock. It's really quite a common form of an impairment that, that we see out there. It, it, fatigue is normal, probably guaranteed that all of the listeners out there have um, experienced fatigue to a certain degree. We know that it's a physiological process that it, it shapes our performance. So what that means is that it influences um, how we work, it, both cognitively and physically. So if you have a task that requires like a high degree of attention or um, safety-critical communication, these are things that can be affected by fatigue and, and reduced. We see it as a contributory factor. And what that means is that in our workplace or at home, in our lives, there are certain things that have a certain amount of risk. So if we just take a look at driving, there's a certain amount of risk associated with driving. And fatigue can add or increase the risk of harm when we're driving drowsy. We know it influences our mental and physical functioning. It, it's way more than just feeling um, a feeling of tired. It sure is. I'm just thinking about the implications for beyond the individual. Some, huh. some people say that fatigue is, it can be acute and chronic, and, and it compared to alcohol consumption, it can have some of the same implications, some of the same feel. And certainly if somebody is up, let's face it, we're talking about students pulling all-nighters. We're talking about writers yeah. pulling all-nighters, trying to get uh, a story in. Uh, even researchers to, to get ready for a lecture or even for a radio interview. You could work 24 hours or, or be up 24 hours. That's, that's bad, right? Yeah. Well, okay, so how do we know? We, we have colleagues. We have ourselves. 
how do we know when we're fatigued? I mean, what, what are other signals? Or, I mean, beyond the clock, beyond the clock, there's other things that tell us you're fatigued. We get asked that question quite a lot. Like, can you tell if somebody's fatigued? Uh, fatigue affects us and our ability to carry out just even the simplest of tasks. We know it can impair our mental and physical functions, um, reduce our reaction time, lower our alertness, reduce memory recall. But these are, these are all things that a person might experience, so really hard to notice. But there are signs and symptoms. So signs, just like stop sign, are things that you can see. Things like yawning, the head drooping, microsleep, the eyelids. That said, you know, if you are fatigued and you're looking at somebody who might be fatigued, it could be really difficult to notice some of these things. So we, we, we talk about recognizing signs and symptoms as being important. It's, it's definitely, a, you know, an aspect of a fatigue risk management plan. But when it comes to doing your own self-assessment or having somebody assess your symptoms, Well, I know that it can lead to lapses in attention and, and errors and, and miscommunication, and, and I think you've identified difficulty in concentration. What if it's two people who are both fatigued and they're assessing each other? I mean, it doesn't work out, does it? No, it really doesn't. As it is, um, microsleep, heavy eyelids, those are, as you can tell, some things that are very difficult to notice. And, and the thing with noticing signs and symptoms, if, if you're going to rely on that to keep people safe, it, it could be too late in some cases. So meaning that you could have already skipped the step and potentially heading towards an undesirable outcome and have it not even be noticed. You know, Heather, I have to take a, yeah. Yeah, I have to take a quick aside here because the other day there was a, a governmental report that suggested that people perhaps who are trying to make up for losses of income are doing second jobs. Yeah. Uh, this can lead to you do put it, you know, your mornings there, your eight hour shift or whatever you do if you're working in, in a in a warehouse and you're running a forklift and then somebody says, you know, would you run a second would you stay because Bob's sick or Janine's sick? Do you know this could be super dangerous, right? Essentially, yes. Now with well, COVID and even before COVID, there are just some part time jobs and even some full time jobs that with the economy it's it's difficult to make ends meet. And so, yes, we're definitely seeing an increase in uh, the number of people that are accessing um, more than one job, which can extend the uh, amount of time they are awake, which we just talked about the blood alcohol content uh, levels, for sure, definitely can play a role. Now, so a business, an operation, an organization, an industry could prepare one of these, what you call a robust fatigue risk management plan. Now, that just doesn't come about. That's a, a cooperative effort between workers or perhaps uh, authorities. And um, tell us a little bit about that. A fatigue risk management plan, there, if, you, you know, if you Google it, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, and options that, that come up. Getting, getting a good quality sleep, getting enough sleep is, is definitely important. But when it comes to keeping us safe and keeping workers safe at work, it, it's just it's not enough in and of itself. You want to look at managing risk. Managing the risk of anything starts with identifying what the, what the problem is or what the issue is, assessing it, like how big of a problem is it, and then trying to fix it or, or control it or do something to change it. And so with fatigue, the ten, like there's two different approaches out there. One can look at the opportunity for sleep, which kind of takes a look at the person. And then a different approach starts with the task. And so this is the position that we're advocating that you begin looking at 
hazardous workplace activities and trying to understand what could happen if people are fatigued when they're operating a drill rig or talking on the phone, handing out safety critical information, and assess what could potentially happen if people are doing the job fatigued. What happens when operators are tired and they're you know, monitoring alarms? And then control the hazard at the source, doing it effectively. Yeah, we can put technology in as as a barrier we can we can engineer risk out of a situation or try to anyways but a lot of it comes down to the human factor doesn't it very often people are they can be tired i mean we can never eradicate all of us experience that's why i said it's normal and that's all the more important reason for us to look at the work that's being done because you can measure fatigue but at the end of the day some degree of fatigue we know exists well i was so great to look at the task I was thinking about, yeah. you know, people who are working at heights and, and people who, uh-huh. are, you know, that, that's a real bad one. I mean, falls are disastrous. Falls, truck buys, slips and trips, they're, they're all, you know, impacted by, by fatigue. And so if we take a look at uh, the workplace conditions, look at uh, the tasks being done, there's lots of repetitive, boring, monotonous, long-duration tasks. Can we make changes there? environment, what kind of environment? Is it good lighting or dim lighting? Is it hot or is it cold? These are all things in the workplace environment that can um, affect our levels of fatigue. Oh, absolutely. So you mentioned briefly, I think, that work might be performed at a different time in a different way, but, and also you talked about various industries. Who, who is really at risk of fatigue? Really, we all are. I mean, truthfully, as you mentioned, I mean, students are, are not uh, exempt from this teenagers, people who are working, shift workers, etc. So, you know, there's, there's a myth out there that, you know, the more experienced you are at your job, the higher ability you have to fight off fatigue. But nobody can decide to feel less tired. The remedy when we're feeling fatigued is sleep. And so the tie-in with who's most at risk are shift workers because they often work um, a time when our bodies have the greatest drive to sleep. What, what are those hours, Heather? Yeah, so our greatest drive to sleep is in um, our first window, it's 1 to 3 p.m. And very often with the second one, that's often linked with, you know, a heavy lunch or, you know, just um, lack of coffee, uh, that noontime drowsiness. But it's actually something that all of us um, humans experience in the afternoon. I, I can admit to it myself, uh, uh, though I don't find coffee really does that much I know it's a stimulant and I know I'm always shocked Heather and I know this is a bit of a divergent subject but uh, or topic you know you go to the gas station and there's these products to keep you awake uh, I know you're you're not a, a a medical professional but we should avoid stimulants shouldn't we well the, the thing with the stimulants is that they are they as you say they are very readily available but really in fact they just mask the problem you know keep you alert uh, for a while, but then eventually it will wear off. Mm. So, uh, you know, and some people are definitely morning people, and some people are definitely evening people. I mean, that's another thing to consider, isn't it? Probiology, and that's, you know, a million-dollar word there, but whether or not we're, um, you know, a morning lark or an owl really can play into the hands of the employer. I mean, if you have work that needs to be done in the morning, these are some considerations that can, um, you know, make it more effective and even work for a person's schedule to have them working either in the morning or late at night. So better work schedules might be an answer for some of this. Yeah, I, I think some of it. But it, it's just, again, um, with fatigue at the outset, I love that you just said it. It's a 
big problem, and there's no silver bullet. We wouldn't be where we are today if there was just one answer. So it's, it's multi-layers, and work schedules or hours of service is definitely a big part of it. We know that as part of a plan, you definitely need to take a look at scheduling. But, but the assumption um, back in the 90s was that if, like in aviation and in other industries, if we change our work schedule, that we're going to, you know, change this whole thing of fatigue. But we now know that working hours alone doesn't constitute a safe system of work. And so um, um, after a big uh, research study was done in Australia down in 2000, we now know that a risk-based approach is a better way to go where you identify those safety-critical tasks that are happening in the middle of the night or during these windows when we our sleep, um, sleep drive is greatest, and start there. Make them the priority for control, and then you can move on to lower risk thereafter. But if we were looking for a single, simple answer, isn't just getting more sleep the answer? Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> the quality and quantity of sleep is, is really important. But if you have medical conditions, and if you're, like, as you say, if you're working two jobs, um, or if you're on some sort of shutdown, you have higher levels of maintenance that are required. We know that sleep alone, we can't always achieve the desired, you know, seven to nine hours. So that's where managing the risk of fatigue uh, becomes a very important aspect. So that means identifying the hazardous workplace activities, and then you said huh. about controlling the hazard. Unfortunately, Heather, sometimes these mm, results, these these interpretations come about because of something that disastrous that happened, like an aviation accident, as you mentioned. And uh, mm-hmm. wow. You know, so well, it, it's the outcome sometimes that we're, we, we see and we just need to, to fix, don't we? You want to take a look at what the potential outcome is, ideally before it goes, goes poorly. Um, but even if, even if you have had, have had incidents, and we've, you know, some of the world's worst incidents Challenger, Exxon Valdez, um, Chernobyl have all been having links uh, because of the time of day when they happened, had links to fatigue. But if you take a deeper dive into some of those incidents, there were also design aspects and there were there things that um, tired operators could do or miss, like say alarms. And so understanding what could happen if people are operating complicated systems while they're tired can help us change the system to make it safer. Mm-hmm. And and certainly there could be equipment damage, there could be loss of life, there could be explosions. Gosh, I, I, I sometimes I do these interviews and the next day something terrible happens. I don't want to do that. But, you know, let's face it, tired people, we're tired sometimes. And it's just a fact of life, isn't it? It, it often is. Like I was saying, like fatigue is normal and we cannot eradicate it. So taking this uh, like multi-pronged approach is really... Uh, you know, what, really what it will achieve the best result. So there are strategies. There are strategies to address the risk of workplace fatigue, particularly. Yeah, there's, there are numerous, numerous things that can be done to uh, manage, uh, manage the risk of fatigue. And uh, you've mentioned and reiterated, um, you know, the identifying, assessing, and controlling. But outside of that, there's these elements that influence our levels of fatigue. And I've, I've mentioned uh, scheduling task and task and the environment where the task is being done. But importantly, the work system and anything we do remains opaque unless we talk to people. So I think if we can um, consult, develop a working group and start asking what could go wrong if we have an operator looking at a wall of screens and they miss an alarm. And when we start to understand what the priorities are, we can create priorities and start there. And I think you're absolutely right. Identifying some 
tasks that are particularly vulnerable when there's fatigue. And if you want to just remind people, I mean, it, it's beyond the routine tasks or just, let's face it, one of my biggest problems is since I've gone back to work post COVID holiday, if we could call it that, I've been sitting down and, and I've been sitting in not the best light. These are these are bad, aren't there? And there's so many other things. What what are some of the other things that that you know these tasks? There there there. There's a multitude of them, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There really there really is. There's been lots of um, kind of research coming out on on things um, tasks, the work that we do that are more susceptible to fatigue. And so what that means is when you do these certain tasks, there's higher likelihood that something could go wrong. And so. Some things that uh, could come to mind in relating to what you've said, you know, now we're in sedentary positions and looking at our monitors and sometimes we don't have the best lighting. So um, doing um, monitoring tasks or paying attention to certain events on a screen, especially in um, dim lighting, that's one one thing. Um, but if you're having to do complex calculations um, or making uh, safety-sensitive safety judgments, attending to detailed information, or having to de- detect um, like a blinking light or uh, the presence of an alarm, especially when there are um, maybe a multitude of screens in front of you and mm-hmm. there are like multiple um, different streams of information coming at you. These are all things that we can um, misinterpret and we may consider to be false when really it's not false. Um, and being aware of changes in the work environment. So, you know, more time may have elapsed or less time may have elapsed. It's really hard to know when we're fatigued. Right, because and our so, reaction um, times... Our reaction times are very much slowed. Our our interpretation of things is 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 blurred. Is the edge is taken off, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a nice way of describing it. Wow, it's accurate. Now we're doing this interview on a, a Friday, uh, Friday morning for you. I have to ask. I mean, I know many people who buy a car say, "Well, you don't want to have a car made on a Friday," or or worse, a car made on a Monday. Are are Monday mornings a high incidence time? Uh, you know, what are, What even are the effects of long holiday weekends or, or maybe even, as you mentioned, time change? Because our day is very much shortened these days. Are Monday mornings uh-huh. bad? Well, it's, it's curious. Yeah, there, there definitely is some context there. So um, when we spring, spring forward, there's been lots of research that, that tells us that even, surprisingly to some, that even an hour's change can actually really um, throw off our body clock. And, and, you know, we look at these two different times of the year um, when we change our clocks, but really we do something very similar to what happens with changing the clocks every week. Because as a student or even as a um, shift worker or a radio announcer, we may um, jump into the week already sleep-deprived, sleep debt or lack of sleep um, accrued throughout the week uh, due to late nights, um, you know, being sleep-deprived between often 10 and 15 hours. Um, yes. And... So, yeah, Fridays for tests and safety-critical tasks and that sort of thing can potentially be problematic. So then what we tend to do is we want to erase the sleep debt. We want to get all caught up on our sleep, and we can't, can't erase sleep debt entirely, but we can, we can get caught up on the weekend, which we tend to do. And so then on our recent long weekend where we've had three days, you can sleep in a couple of those days, and then come Sunday night, you're thinking, okay, I actually don't feel tired, so you might go to bed late, which then can catapult you <laughs> the next week already yes. at a sleep deck. So, yeah, so definitely Mondays and Fridays are something to think about. You know, you stay up and watch Netflix and you go, oh, I'll just mm-hmm. finish this movie, and before you know it, it's one in the morning. Gosh, mm-hmm. the, there are so many things that, 
as we've talked about, it affects workers, it affects, it affects households, it affects children, it affects everybody can be affected. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, it's definitely since the invention of the um, light bulb in, back in the 1800s, we now have this wonderful and, and yet, you know, sometimes it brings with it some disadvantages, the ability to extend the workday and, you know, increasing production being the goal. But then um, with the increased amount of work, then overall a reduction across the globe in um, the amount of sleep that people get. Yes. Um, ideally, you want to be getting uh, between seven and nine hours of sleep, which is healthy for an adult. Um, but, you know, since the 60s, extending commutes and doing, doing double jobs and having to work further, live further and further away from where you work um, has increased the, um, the amount of time that we're on the road and we're just away from, away from home and away from the ability to get good sleep. And then, and then throw in the shift work, greens, virtually all day long. This, too, like the blue light, can really influence um, our quality of sleep um, as well as the amount of sleep that we're getting. Well, there was a man that I, I knew when I used to take a GO train who used to bring his own mm-hmm. pillow. And, uh, in fact, what he did is he, he basically extended his bedroom into the GO train. Uh, Heather, I have to ask, is there a place we can go to to get more information about, about fatigue in the workplace? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, WorkSAPC, I mean, we've done a, a lot of great work in the area, and uh, one area you can look at is uh, WorkSAPC.com forward slash fatigue. There you'll find the beginnings of a great web- website. Um, it's fairly new. I've got an excellent new resource there, a bulletin that talks all about uh, the uh, fatigue risk in the workplace. What is fatigue, contributing factors, and how, to, how you can approach fatigue in terms of trying to um, mitigate the, the risk. And I also point, point people to the work of a, that's going on in Australia. They've produced, both Queensland and, and other jurisdictions have produced really excellent work, um, and a, they've put together a guide for managing the risk of fatigue. And if, if people want resources, um, absolutely reach out uh, to me, or you can um, send an email to humanfactors at worksafetc.com. Well, remind us who you are and where you work. My name is Heather Colley, and I'm at WorkSafeBC. People can just Google that, and they'll probably find you. Heather Colley, it has been a pleasure today to have you on this program, QOL. Fatigue, I mean, we're talking about quality of life here. If you're fatigued, I think quality of life is very much diminished. Uh, Heather, thank you again for being our guest. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And if uh, if there are questions um, after the fact, please reach out anytime. Look forward to it. This has been 96.7 on your FM dial. This is Hugh Cruzel, and the program is on CKLU. And you might Google my name, Hugh Cruzel, and the word podcast, you'll find this program, a very important one, a very important message about fatigue, specifically during the time of COVID. Bye for now.